This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For your free trial, plus 10% off anything you buy, visit squarespace.com and use the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you going? <laughs> we should break the fourth wall, or we should at least, you know, pierce the fourth wall. How are we going to do that? Well, I don't know. By by uh, being uh, forward thinking. Let's be forward thinking and pierce the fourth wall. Well, I, I, you know me. I don't like to talk about the show on the show. Right. No, I know. Other people don't like us to talk about the show on the show. But but we're recording episodes because uh early and stacking them as you say mm. because because mm. uh we're, we're both going to be away parts of the summer of this year 1978 mm-hmm. and uh and so uh, we hope that everything we see on here will still make sense then <laughs> we've done this before mm-hmm. where you and i have recorded multiple episodes uh in one sitting and um i've, I've found it uh generally to be a success oh i agree we're nice and loose and warm Right, all warmed up. Oh, I've, already, I've already blown through all my Grateful Dead material I prepared. It's the problem. Yeah, well, and the thing, I've, you know, I feel like the 800-pound gorilla in the room mm. is really a 450-pound gorilla wearing a gorilla suit. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, part of the problem with doing episodes, because I, you, as you have said many times, you like to feel like our show is timeless. It's evergreen. Yeah, and you can listen to the show at any time. Any episode will work. But <clears throat> the real world does intrude sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? And we are recording this show uh, immediately after the electromagnetic pulse yes. uh, destroyed all of civilization. And a, a lot of our listeners are going to be wondering, you know, did this happen in an alternate universe? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, did, how did they do it? It's a lot to explain, but also uh, there's a lot of Macintosh talk. And oh in my the air. goodness, there's so much Macintosh talk. And you and I are studiously avoiding talking about it. Oh, that's a shame. I wish we could talk about the Macintosh talk because it's you know because we want our show to be evergreen. We don't want it to be topical. Mm-hmm. But what about same- Benghazi? Should we talk about Benghazi? Oh, Benghazi is all, it's on everybody's lips. Uh, Bergdahl oil. Uh, a, 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 popular brand of motor oil <laughs> is that the hostage guy <laughs> i mean i think we're giving away when this show is being recorded did you enjoy people. the hillary clinton book uh i'm still reading it still reading <laughs> it's it. pretty dense uh i'm trying to get into game of thrones oh my gosh because i met george rr R. martin the other oh, day oh you know i kind of want to hear about that yeah <laughs> yeah it's um I mean, you know, studious Roderick on the Line scholars will know almost exactly when we're recording this now, based on this topical information we've given. Thanks, part Obama. Of, part of me feels like that is destroying the illusion that we are that we are posting these from the future. Mm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so I so I so I I spent the day basically with George R. R. Martin. Would you Would you forgive me a, a, a slight voir dire at this point? Sure. Okay. You are a man who exists out of time. Correct. You're a man who is not a fan in italics. Correct. Right? But Correct. but isn't it fair to say that, that in your studies, uh, dark web and otherwise in the past, you've read a lot of books? Yes, that's true. And weren't you, well, I mean, you've read like, you've read some science fiction and stuff, right? I have. 
You don't talk about it. Uh, I do not. Okay. Generally, I mean, and, and part partly it is you know like I went through a, a a phase many years ago where I read everything that Harlan Ellison wrote. Wow. And I really enjoyed it, although his politics were inexcusable. Um, like that his, seems to be kind of a thing with sci-fi writers, <laughs> right? I mean, like his. I his, like the Ender's Game movie. <laughs> his idea of like what uh, what the, the proper gender roles were, uh, even. 25 years ago when i read all those books uh it was it's just unconscionable you can't you can't endorse it but at the same time great stories great imagination i think it is i think it's ultimately like you know i i talked about this in my i'm not a fan article uh for the la weekly which produced what i can only imagine was a very entertaining comment section that I absolutely <laughs> did not visit or read. You've learned your lesson. I expressed I expressed to myself no curiosity about it. Like, oh, I'm sure there are people yelling at me on there, not going to give them even the pleasure of thinking about that I would go read it. But, uh, but um, you know, the, 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 the complicated thing about reading the product of someone else's imagination... For me, is always that I, I I absolutely enjoy the experience, but but I am always conscious of of occupying like some rented real estate in someone else's imagination for a short period of time. It's not a place I I want to buy or build a house. It's not a place that I want to. Uh, I don't want to put my imagination there. Or right. like there are things that I experience in 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 entering someone else's imaginative world that I want to you know that I absolutely want to borrow or take with me and like put into um, a cigar box, if you will, in my imagination. <laughs> right? I want to. I want to walk over. I want to walk out of Harlan Ellison's world and be like, oh, it never occurred to me that, for instance. Um, incest bias was a cultural thing right i read i read a harlan ellison story one time where the plot was oh why do we have a prohibition on incest there's there are ancient reasons for it uh but really it's a cultural bias rather than a necessary one or or an a priori one and i was like huh that makes me uncomfortable that's an idea that someone else put into a story and it makes me uncomfortable to think about and that's very interesting and that and that story was a success because you know the reveal was like oof ouch huh i'm going to take that away i'm going to chew on that mm-hmm. and yet my my first instinct e- even when i you know even the star wars universe or anybody else's universe my first instinct is like okay that was fun thank you for having me over and now it's time to say good night and goodbye maybe i'll come back and visit you another time it's an airbnb of the mind you don't want to you don't want to move in yeah right because my own imaginative world is is almost completely fulfilling like I, I do not, I do not sit around and and ever feel like, wow, I've run out of things to imagine. Like I am so bored sitting here imagining things. I would like to see what other people are imagining. I mean, you know, every once in a while I do out of just sort of 
uh, I hear people talking about something enough or, or, but, but it's never a case of like, I'm having a real imagination drought over here and I'd like to go somewhere else. And like, and just to, you know, that whole business that people talk about, like I just turn off and just, you know, am, am absorbed with someone else's story. Like I understand the feeling of like turning off, but you know, turn off and go into my own uh, playland. My own library of speculative fiction. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, so, I mean, all the comments, all the angry comments that, that made their way to me about that fan article, you know, just were, were having the same sort of defensive reaction that the, that the angry comments about the punk rock article had, which are like, this is my world, this is important to me, why are you attacking me? And, you know, and I, and I think a lot of that is just the tone that I write or my, you know, my know-it-all tone. But, of course, I'm not attacking. I'm just like... You were, you were talking about yourself. Talking about myself. And, 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 and the best comments I got were that handful of emails from people that were like, thank you for writing that. You described me perfectly. I never thought about it that way before. I always feel like an outsider. And I'm not a fan. And, and now I know that, uh, that I'm not alone. And it's just like, oh, good. I'm glad that I made that connection with you. Because people, sh- people like tend to think like, you know, and I, I don't really have a dog in this fight too much, but people, but people tend to think, and I, I feel this sometimes when I meet people who are really into comics that don't like or are not into, not even don't like, but aren't into some comic that all of my other friends are into. It's like we have to stage an intervention. Uh-huh. It's like you just don't understand it yet, you know? <laughs> And so I know that I know that feeling and that feeling of community that comes out of out of fandom, but you know I don't I didn't get that you were like saying that other people shouldn't be fans. No, God, by all means, be fans. You like be your fans. fans. I do. I like all fans. I like so many people who are fans. It's just a. I'm just kind of describing like a uh, like my state. And, it's it's the, not really that. I mean, in some ways, not to inject myself too much, but like it's kind of like how I feel with me in like politics and current affairs. Mm-hmm. Like I don't hate politics and current affairs. I don't even hate that people have strong opinions about it. It's just not my thing. And I really feel like it, in that case, I'm the one saying I'm not a fan. And yeah. like I feel like an outcast. I feel like people think. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what people think, but sometimes I wonder if, if like I come across as someone who just doesn't care about stuff. I care a lot about stuff. Oh, I yeah. just don't feel the need to have that like arguments about it with people. Well, and that's the, and that's the thing. I mean, in the form of politics, the people who are fans of politics don't describe themselves using fan language. They describe themselves using language where if you, you know, if you aren't interested in politics, then you're not engaged in the present world and you don't care about the fate of mankind and you know and really you're absolutely right their motivation is is very fan based or 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 a lot of a lot of the politics groupies are fan based the people that are writing about politics every day and writing about politicians like they are stars um and you know that's true of that's true of any of any of these, you know, the, the way our culture is siloed and somebody wrote, somebody wrote an interesting, so, so the, the, um, the bass player of skin yard mm-hmm. who went on to own CZ records, one of the seminal oh, uh, yeah. Seattle grunge l- labels, he posted, he reposted my fan article on his Facebook page. 
And typically, like, his friends on Facebook uh, are all the crusty grunge era uh, crustoids that that hated my punk rock article, too. And there was a lot of shit talking there. And he posted it like, this is interesting to me. This, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about this but i but i kind of feel like i might even be one of these people that's in this category of like has a difficult relationship to fandom but there was a lot of angry yelling on his facebook page and that was kind of the extent of the angry yelling that i saw that i allowed myself to see before i before i shut the whole system down yeah yeah but there was an interesting comment from someone on there that said like this the uh, this john roderick person seems like somebody who is primarily interested in the breadth of experience and not especially interested in the depth of experience. Hmm. And I was like, huh. And I, you know, I walked away and chewed on that for a while and feel like that's absolutely true. It's certainly a conclusion that could be drawn. It's a conclusion that could be drawn. And Whether it's a hundred percent accurate all the time. It's, it's certainly an interesting thought technology. It's an interesting thought technology. And I, and, and what I felt, what I feel like is that, we all use the power of extrapolation to, to, to get through life, right? You don't have to... I mean, somebody that had a memento-like condition where every experience they had to figure out the terms of it anew, completely anew, with no prior experience, you know, that what a nightmare that would be. Yeah. Like, you go through enough situations that when you see a guy... Uh, when you see a guy who has bleached his goatee you pretty much know what you're you pretty much know that you're dealing with somebody that wants jalapenos in their food <laughs> you know like you, that's me and face tattoos <laughs> you don't have to think of you don't have to you don't have to meet this guy and figure it out again right like oh you bleach you bleach your facial hair betting that you think that your food's not hot enough I'm and, and you, if you, when, when you're thinking of asking him do you want to hit off of this you don't really have to ask he wants to hit off of whatever it is exactly he wants to hit off of it he's, hey, a pan, you, he's a pan person he wants to hit off of everything do you want cream cheese on that i bet you want cream cheese on <laughs> that yeah. so so uh so you know my my experience of depth when it comes to anything kind of culturally or experientially is that I experience the depth of things largely through extrapolation. Like, I, I, I go down a street in a neighborhood, and I say, okay, I got a picture of this neighborhood now. Because I've gone down this street, and maybe I turned and went down a second street, and I'm going to extrapolate what the character of this neighborhood is through through that experience. Now, next time I'm going on a trip from point A to point B, do I go down this same street again because it was the route, because it was the fastest route? Or do I take a, do I take a second route, a new route, so that I can increase that power of extrapolation? I can increase my, like, my um, sample size so that I get, I start to get a picture of this whole part of the town. I start to get a picture of this whole community. That's interesting. Instead of being a fan of this particular route, and f- because you like it more than the one other one you tried, you're saying, "I, I want to see what all these do." Right, and 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 that is my experience of culture too. Like I, I'm always trying to increase my sample size so I can use the power of extrapolation to know more 
and and what i what i think is you know like i do not have a i do not have a deep knowledge of of uh, of of any process right like how do you get to be a how do you get to be a great luthier how do you get to be the ultimate sushi chef you know you do the same thing over and over and over until your knowledge of it is like in your hands it's in your bones you are the you are the ultimate practitioner of a thing because you have you have turned that experience you've gone through rote into like body memory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i don't have that with anything even with guitar like i'm not i i i find it very very difficult to practice the same thing over and over again i'm always playing something different and new and other and and in a way that that informs how i how i make music the problem is it's i never do the i never play the lick multiple times until i can do it you know and it's you know it's why i'm not a not a a real technical musician but but what i what i do instead is always take a different route always try a new food you know i was i was in a restaurant with a friend the other day and they were like i come to this restaurant with you 50 times you've never ordered the same thing and i order the same thing every time i i always order the same thing yeah and i think that's true that's true for a lot of people and they were remarking on it and it took them 50 visits with me to to realize it like that every time you order something different and i think that that makes me a little uncomfortable like each time you're going to try something new like is it all like it can't always be good and i'm like no sometimes it is not good <laughs> sometimes it's not but each but a meal is just a moment you know and if you get if you get a bad one like like sweep it into the trash and you know try the try a new thing the next time so it's a so it's a it's a relationship to fandom that's really part of a larger relationship to experience which is like i don't care to do the same thing enough times that i develop a deep knowledge because deep knowledge of a process or of a of a um, any any real deep knowledge is a thing i feel like i can approximate through analogy and like i would much rather see the uh, see uh, increase my breadth Mm-hmm. Well, and, 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 but let me let me just add a note here that I think is important, which is I don't hear you saying that means nobody else should have deep knowledge of things, well, or that, I, or that that's not valuable. You're not saying that at all. The only way I could be this way is mm-hmm. that I is that I'm surrounded by people that have deep knowledge. Do you agree though that isn't that something that people hear when you when you say I have chosen to like know enough about these couple things to be able to extrapolate and learn and learn about a new thing I want to know about? You're you're a curious person. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you don't think other people should become experts. No, and I don't understand how anybody could. I mean, I guess I feel like it's weird. It's weird to even have to say that. <laughs> yeah, but I and I feel like when I talk about my experience i talk about it with a with with a a natural pride right like i am proud of how i am i i don't i'm not defending how i am against attackers i just am proud of it because because i feel like that whole modern tendency to apologize for who you are first like hello hi nice to meet you listen i'm sorry that i'm different from you but i'm just gonna i have to express my difference and I know it's bad, but please don't hurt me. But here I am. 
<laughs> like I hate that. I'm I I feel like I I'm I'm proud of who I am, and that that that's not something I should be ashamed of. But expressing who I am in a way that is that seems like just sort of uh, contented or happy or 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 that I prefer the way that I am is immediately interpreted as judgment of other people, and my preference for myself is is somehow an expression that I am better. Uh, yeah, which, that, you're, that you're just categorically disrespectful, almost. Yeah, right. Like, oh, yes, I, I don't prefer to be an expert, so anybody that's an expert is a fucking idiot. Right. Like, and I don't know where people, how people make that leap. It's, in, it's an invisible uh, mist in the culture today. I feel, I feel it all the time. It's bananas. It is. And it's, it's, so, it's so cocky and self-involved to assume that you can understand that much about somebody who's not, who's not even saying anything against what you believe yeah. or saying anything against the very idea that you like to believe what you believe. Yeah. It, it's, it's, so, it's so caustic and unnecessary, but I feel like it's everywhere. And if you, and you really you sound – one sounds uh, very self-involved or insulated – if you don't excuse yourself for for not knowing everything about somebody, and you know what I mean, it's just, it's, it's yeah. such a weird situation. Well, this and, and again, this this um, this comment section in on the Daniel House Facebook page, there was a guy, and and, and at a certain point, I, full disclosure, at a certain point, I started to comment on his Facebook page. Oh no, because John. the first commenter was a guy that was just like, you know what. This guy's a fucking asshole. I hated his punk rock article. I hate his whole attitude. He thinks he's better than everybody else. He thinks he's smarter than everybody else, and that's fucking bullshit. And his music sucks, and he's got a fucking stupid haircut, and his glasses are dumb. Everything about this guy sucks, and it's fucking, and he's an asshole, and I hate him. And, you know, so that's the first comment. And it's, <laughs> that and, bodes well. <laughs> you know, and it gets like, it gets uh, liked five times or something. And it, you know, but then there's three or four comments from people that are like, I don't know, this article seems pretty well, you know, it seems pretty reasonable. I mean, I I don't know if I agree that Kiss is no good because I like Kiss, but, you know, but, but, you know, a couple of people defending or at least making that conciliatory Facebook, uh, like medium post. And then the guy comes back in. He's like, "No, you know what? You guys, blah, 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 you're all wrong." And another thing about this guy, like his, he's got bad taste in shoes, and he's like, And so finally, of course, I I show up. Here I come through the door in a cape. I'm like, "Hi, I'm I'm the writer of this article, and I'm reading your comments. You know, I'm reading your comments, and I'm uh, and I feel like." Um, I'm not trying to attack anybody with this article. I'm just expressing who I am. I'm just talking from my perspective. It's not a bad thing. And so angry guy comes back in and now he feels a little bit like, oh, oh, the, there's an adult or like the adults are in the room now. So I have to pretend I'm an adult. And he's like, well, I'm, it's very, I'm, I'm very pleased to see that you're here defending yourself, but I just have to take issue with the fact that you are, such a uh that you're so arrogant and i was like well i'm not arrogant i'm just talking um about my experience and why would i uh why would i apologize for for it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and he's and he comes back again a third time with like chastising me about my tone and and so i wrote i would like you sir to read back on your posts on this facebook page and reflect on your tone 
and then contrast it with my tone and tell me which tone you prefer. Like my know-it-all tone that is like so offensive to you because I'm because I'm proud of myself. Right. Or, well, you're an idiot and he's speaking truth to power. Yeah, or yeah, exactly. Or you're like you are pouring vitriol against someone you don't know and don't understand. And your instinct, your first instinct, is to be butthurt and uh and like pissy bitchy. <laughs> So what world do you want to live in? You know, like I'm, uh, I, and, and, the, and that, uh, that idea that to, um, to be, to not apologize for yourself is the greatest crime is the first crime, you know, is the, is the, is the premier crime in, in our internet culture now to not begin with a, I have no right to speak, but now that I've acknowledged that, I'm going to proffer my, you know, humble opinion, and I, you know, and, and now I'm going to slowly back out of the room, bowing and scraping, and that, and that's what's necessary to not be to not be taken as like a strident, combative, and ultimately like you know, angry troll. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's. Um, I, I think when you're doing any kind of personal writing, when you're talking about yourself, when you're talking about yourself as a member of society, which is what a lot of personal essays are in some ways, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, you have to be skillful to say something interesting. You have to be very skillful to say something new, and you have to be somewhat courageous to say something honest. And I think it's very difficult to efficiently say anything that's interesting and new and honest without a lot of people getting upset. For yeah. sometimes very little reason. And it isn't, it isn't, I mean, people could, and I think that reads, you're right. I think it, that people read that as arrogant. But like, the thing is though, if you don't, what do, so what do you do to not get that reaction from people? You say something uninteresting. You say something that's not new. And you say something that's dishonest. You yeah. say something that everybody can agree with because they already think that. And that's, why bother? Yeah, right. That's, that's just asking for compliments. And that's, that's not making anything. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it, and it, and it's part of I think the growing sense of like online life as a as a groupthink consensus machine, where where we're not we are not trying to invent something new right now in our at this moment in our culture, we are not trying to put a man on the moon. We are not trying to uh, push the the boundaries of what it is to be a you know, a human animal or a, or a global culture. We are just at least online, just trying to round off all the nubs, you know, sand the corners and figure out and, and basically like shout people into a consensus that makes us feel like that validates our own prejudices. Well, and think about how much of that is about corralling a uh, temporary tribe of people who categorically agree on who's a bad person and why. Think, right. Ask yourself how many things that people consider like important conversations mostly stop at who's a bad person and why. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then ask yourself what you get out of that in terms of making something. Well, yeah, you're not making anything. Especially if 36 hours you move on to find another tribe that you can agree with. And I really do, I really honestly do believe that that I mean, you know, several years ago, 10 years ago, we were very worried about uh, the millennials. And I don't want to dump on the millennials because some of the smartest people I know are part of that generation. You're so arrogant. 
And some of the fun, you know, some of the funnest stuff that is being bandied about is coming from millennials who have a who have a a, a different enough take and a kind of uh, you know, and the and the power of youth. Um, but. But ten years ago, we were we were all very concerned about this brand new generation that was arriving that had never gotten a bad grade. No one had ever given them an F. No one had ever told them they needed to try a little harder. They were congratulated at every step of the way, and now they were eighteen years old. They were entering the world, and they were really unhappy to find that they didn't get a round of applause every time they pooped. And this was, you know, this was 10 years ago when we were adults and we were like, oh, there's a new generation arriving on the scene. And it's kind of weird interacting with them because they are indignant that, you know, like, and, and their indignance is, um, you know, we were characterizing it as this, as a product of this era of uh, no bad grades. If I, if I could make it worse, a, a seldom... Seldom analyzed indignance. It really felt like something that arrived by FedEx one day and that they really completely deserved was this, just this constant sense of like explain. I don't know. I don't mean to be negative about it, but I just got this, this sense of, of, of always looking for bad stuff in everything as a way to explain why your life sucks. Right. And, 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 and crucially unreflective. That's, that's exactly right. They were not reflecting inwardly they're fine reflecting on other people and what they, they reflecting need, on others. what they need to be doing differently to be more unhappy like them yeah well so here we are 10 years later and we're no longer really talking about millennials in that way because that was that was the way that we thought about them when they were newly minted adults they weren't kids anymore but they still were very kid-like now that generation is in its 30s and it is um it is producing a lot of culture. It is really like, it is really generating the it, the tone of the conversation, and and so I'm I'm beginning to try and do what we've done with every generation so far in my life, which is kind of slot them into what the story is, you know, what the story of our culture is, and and millennials are typically the children of baby boomers, and. Your and my generation is this this intergeneration that is largely going to be forgotten. You know, we're a smaller population wise. We're we're much smaller than the boomers before us or their children after us. There are fewer of us, and we're going to be marginalized. We already are marginalized. We always were marginalized when we were eighteen. The popular music on the charts was still boomer music. And we had our brief moment in the early 90s where our culture poked through for a little while. And we were regarded as a sulky, entitled generation ourselves. And then we just got like, we just sort of got dust heaped as the culture moved on. Like they weren't really interested in hearing from us anymore. Uh, Whatever it was that we contributed was just kind of like ironic and every and, every year we're moving more and more out of the target demo yeah right you know we were like the sneerers who sneered our way right into like a position where we acquiesced to total sellout status which invalidated entirely our 
prior sneery mentality. You know, like we, we self invalidated ourselves in a way that the, it took the boomers 25 years to do. And we just got on it pretty, pretty And now fast. today the, the idea of selling out is, is disappearing in a way we couldn't have imagined even five years ago. Yeah. Right. And, and, and in, in one sense, good riddance because that mm-hmm. was, that was self-defeating, but in another sense, everything is, everything is marketing now. I mean, everything is marketing, including journalism. I mean, things that we thought were, were unassailable. Including your personality. Your personality? Your, I mean, every fucking thing. And I say that as somebody who, uh, who embraces the fact that you and I have found an advertiser for our program. Hello. <laughs> like, love, uh, love the idea of making a living doing creative work. But my God, I, 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 I go on the internet. I'm trying to find a thing. I want to search for the, the, I want to search for some information on the 30 years war and the, fucking thing pops up and it's like if you like the 30 years war you're gonna love the new nissan sentra brought to you by carl's jr <laughs> you know go click to this buzzfeed thing and it's and you're just gonna and every time you look for the arrow to see the next picture it's actually going to be an arrow that takes you to a chase credit card ad you won't believe like, what happens next <laughs> it's like fuck you everybody like everybody fuck you yeah. but so so we're living in a world now where millennials have 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 melted into the larger adult population and have brought their values into the adult conversation. They are adults now and have their, have this value system that we perceive to be founded in an untruth, which is the untruth being that everyone is special. And we feel that to be intrinsically untrue and an unexamined lie but it's now in it's in the water that 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 draw that you know that LSD is in the water supply now, and you cannot you cannot take a thirty year old and segregate them from a forty five year old and say like well you still are you sir are still living in a state of delusion, whereas we at forty five have exclusive access to the truth because the baby boomers ahead of us are also living in a delusion, like we're the only ones that. That that hear the clang of metal on metal. I mean, we're all just dummies. But I'm, you know, you you have a kid. I have a kid that are part of a part of a generation that we have to imagine. I I have to start imagining what their viewpoint is going to be. I know. And are are millennials? Are they the aberration, or were we? You know, are, are, are they establishing what the new tone is? And we're, I mean, in a way, absolutely they are. We're always from now on going to be living in a world that is somewhat defined by the, the group think and, you know, like rights-based thinking, you know, kind of justice-based thinking of the generation that came after us. But somebody's got to come along with a fucking plan for something exciting and new, right? Right. We can't, human history cannot just turn on itself and bite its own tail for the rest of We should have more kids. We should have more kids. We should teach them science. Have them build trail. Get get them out there. Get their their healthy, strong bodies building trail in the sun. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then set them loose with tools and math, right? Teach them math. which St- Standard you, math and computer maths? <laughs> teach them standard math. If they know their maths well enough, like computer maths will be easy. Because computer maths are just a trade that anyone can learn. Meanwhile, back in Santa Fe, <laughs> I think if you ask the typical pop quiz hotshot, you ask the typical uh, Roderick Online listener, mm. which one of us had read... You or me? Which of us had read yeah. uh, any Tolkien? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I have a feeling most people would guess that I have read some Tolkien. Right. I've read no Tolkien. <laughs> See, that's insane to me. I know. I know. Because it's insane have, to a lot of people. I have read all the Tolkien. See? Including this is why I, the Cimmerillion. Isn't that's the hard one? Which that's, is the it's impossible to read. That's it's their like metal reading, mach- that's his metal machine music, right? It's like reading a hundred years of solitude if all the story was taken out of it. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by our very good friends at Squarespace. You know Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. They make the whole process so simple. They have an easy drag-and-drop interface and beautiful free templates you can tweak to suit your needs. All the Squarespace 6 designs are responsive, which means they look great on every device. Squarespace also offers free 24 by 7 support through live chat and email with dedicated teams in New York City, Dublin, and Portland. Hmm. John and I have used Squarespace to host Roderick on the line for three years now. They have been great to work with. We would love it if you would give them a try, too. Remember, Squarespace plans start at only $8 per month. $8 a month! That includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Please remember, tell Squarespace you heard about it from your pals at Roderick on the line. Listeners of this program get a free trial plus 10% off any package they choose by using the special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line. We could not do it without them. The one Tolkien I haven't read is his apparently genius translation of Beowulf, hmm. which went unpublished until very recently. Hmm. That was his, like, his, uh, I guess, his young masterwork before he did all the other, before he did the fantasy writing. He wrote this, like, brilliant translation of beowulf and then never published it just sat on it huh and and do you think his estate did that his estate has finally published it yeah <laughs> but you gotta uh, be careful what you leave on your computer sketches by john Rock. but he uh he wrote this thing and i think it might have been his leaves of grass he kept writing it or or you know monkeying with it or didn't think it was ready i don't know but George R. R. Martin, very curious character. Very interesting to interact with him. Hmm. Um, he is a nerd. Oh, really? Yes. But of the old school, you know? Like, remember when we were young nerds? Yes. And the difference between... The nerds that, you know, that played Dungeons and Dragons and the nerds that were actually trying to learn swordsmithery. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember there were, you know, there were real nerds, even when we were nerds, who were just a dimension beyond. Like, the guys who talked about swords. There was a, there was a kid in my 
ninth grade science class who was a friend of mine and we talked about um we talked about fantasy writing and science fiction together and we enjoyed dungeons and dragons culture but he had notebooks full of designs of swords that he was sincere about learning the ancient arts of sword making to 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 craft these swords to to hew them out of the metal and i remember at the time feeling like you know that there that that is you are choosing um to pursue esoterica down a rabbit hole to the end like Sword making is never going, it's not relevant. It's never going to be relevant now. It's you are on a siding. And I appreciate, like, that, that I appreciate the art. I appreciate the history. I appreciate everything about it. But <clears throat> I, I think there was a part of what, 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 what made it possible for him or what made it a siding was that there was a part of the fantasy where he believed that maybe one day civilization would crumble and swords would be the way we interacted with each other again. It sounds like a free thinker, like, a, you know, you not in a political way, but I mean, like he's definitely, he's got his own thoughts about how stuff is going to go. He's not, yeah. he's not doing it to be cool. He's not doing it because, you know, it's the next obvious step given that his father is a swordsmith. He's got a larger worldview. Yeah, and I feel like there's a there's a part of steampunk culture, Ren Fair culture, um, fantasy culture, cosplay culture that is that, is, that, that there are under under threads undertones of apocalypse in those things. You know, people are aware that they are in modernity. And they are enjoying these cultures, and, and I, I cannot help but feel like they all secretly hope that the grid goes down. Sort of like you and Red Dawn. A little bit. That these are Red Dawn fantasies, and that when the grid does go down, they're swordsmithing, they're, uh, you know, the fact that they can cook a hearty meal in a kettle the fact that they know how to entertain themselves with just a flute and footbells. <laughs> They've dealt with in-period lice and that's fleas. Right. You that's know, that's right. the thing in the Civil War thing. You gotta have, it's okay if you have fleas. Like that, that makes it more realistic. Yeah, you, fig- you figure out the fleas and the lice. You mm-hmm. figure out uh, that, that, th- that suddenly those skills, which we all thought were laughable, are going to be, are going to come in very handy. And the traveling minstrels and the and the the jugglers and the juggalos <laughs> are all the juggalos are just waiting for the apocalypse. They are, and I and I feel like I mean, and this may be the, the this may be my Cold War childhood speaking, but I cannot help but think all these alternative cultures are, in some ways, secret apocalypse cults, and everybody is privately preparing for what they and because this is absolutely true on the flip side like all the gun nuts all the survivalists all the people who are more out about what they call preparing for 
the race riots or preparing for the water wars or preparing for the when the government comes. And what they're really doing is fantasizing about those things. They're praying for those eventualities because their preparation is like, it's so excited. They're so enthusiastic about it. They are hoping to God that the grid goes down and that they are defending their homes against hordes. Uh, and, and, I, and I really feel like, like the fantasy world and the, and the, what we, you know, what we think of as the nerd world at least the at least the steampunky ren fairy artisanal craftsman side of things it's also like subtly prepping for the for the end times and and the, the, the never never thought of that because when you think about somebody um you know the, the the typical thing would be when you say like a not even a ren fair but just like a medieval like a middle ages kind of dress up thing you're like why would you want to spend your weekend acting like you're living in this really squalid time with no resources and, you know, horrible health conditions and terrible food. And if you look at it instead, instead of looking to the past and pining, it's the, instead of thinking it's looking to the future and preparing, yeah. that turkey leg is going to look pretty good in a couple yeah. of years. I think what they're doing is making apocalypse fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's really like the tech people who are right in the middle of the culture, who are, you know, the tech people are betting that everything keeps going, you know? Tech people are laying the groundwork for the fact that the grid does not go down and that really the skill sets that are going to be needed in the future are skill sets built on what we're doing now. And it's like the conversation I had with Jonathan Colton Many years ago, when you know, when my daughter was born, his kids are a little bit older than mine, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I was expressing my kind of hippie like suspicion of screen time. Well, I don't think I'm gonna, you know, I don't think I'm like going to let my kid watch. He's got, TV. He's got very interesting thoughts on that that really yeah. have heavily influenced me. Yeah, and he, he he was like, well, why are you doing that? Like, all they're going to have are screens in the future where we're going. The future where we're going, where that's going to be their their the life, future their, in which we will spend the rest of our lives. Right, and so the longer you deprive her of screens, it's like you are it's like you are refusing to let her use a fork because they didn't used to have forks or something like these are tools. These or like are the, even like to me, this is super reductive. But my the, the, I walked away with thinking, well, you know, I I, I want. I read so much bullshit I don't like to my daughter, but she wants to read it. So it doesn't matter if it's Barbie or My Little Pony or Green Lantern. Like, I will read it to her because she wants to be read to. I want her to hear lots of words. I want her to read lots of words. And if those are the words that get her excited, that's good. There's there's a part of me, and I I really admit this is reductive, but after having that conversation with, with, you know, we have two friends named John that fall on really different sides of the fence about this, and it's interesting to talk to them about this. As yeah. you know, yeah, right. um, and they argue with one another. Still, it. they still do. <laughs> but you know, but for me, it's like that's the new literacy. Like it's just it doesn't feel like literacy to us. I so what I say to my daughter: you're only allowed to look at educational books for an hour a day. 
I know it's not exactly the same thing, <laughs> but you can look at books, but they need to be educational. There was a time when people thought books were like, were something that were going to be really upsetting in a time with a, you know, theocracy in place. Like that's really dangerous information. Well, right. I mean, I feel like even when she's playing Monument Valley, like even when she's trying to buy and failing, thank God, to buy, buy toys for a talking uh, cartoon cat on a screen, like at the same time, she's learning to manipulate that. She's learned to think she's learning to type a little bit. And I didn't, I didn't really learn to type until I was like 18. Right. And my, my God, if you don't have that, I mean, God bless the people who, who don't play their kids recorded music and uh, make them play with blocks. <laughs> we, have, we have a good friend who goes to uh, Waldorf and Waldorf is a very interesting educational program, but it, it on the face of it, it freaks me out a little bit. Like the well, idea that so. you, hmm? How so? Well, I don't know enough about it, and everybody who does Waldorf says it's not as bad as it sounds. But, you know, the idea is that it's really all about play and play and play, which is great. But, yeah. like, you play with fairly simple toys, and you're not supposed to listen to recorded music. You never you never don't do anything with screens at all until a certain age. Oh. And anyway, I don't want to be reductive about it, but, like, for me, like, I, I feel like so much, my life has been made so much better and frustrating sometimes by, by this computer stuff. But we have to understand that, back to your thing about the millennials, we still think about this as computer stuff. For them, that's just life. Yeah, and yeah. the sooner, like, she gets good at that version of life, the more prepared she'll be to make good decisions when, when that stuff gets weird, which it will in a couple of years. Right. Anyway, I, I, we're so far off George R. 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 Martin. But, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but anyway, you were saying. So, uh, screens. Well, I, I, yeah, I feel like, I feel like it's very interesting how much, how, how many trends in the popular culture in, in sort of every direction and of every political stripe can, be traced back to a kind of um to 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 an apocalypse origin story and the mainstream culture just putters along in a state of of like unreflective mass lockstep conformity yeah, where, where even the negative thinking is that things will get worse in a way that we'll mostly understand yeah, right. It's but. just going to be like, oh, well, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be harder to. Uh, it's going to be harder to get uh, my shade of lipstick in the future because uh, because apparently it's uh, not, not if you're Selena Kyle in uh, the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> she, had, like, she got great cosmetics after they she, shut off the electricity. She really did, and I I can only assume that she spent all the time she wasn't on screen, like up at Macy's, going through the darkened. I think uh, it's clear that she moved into a, a Mac cosmetics store before Bain shut off all the utilities. Yeah, yeah. and she just she would disappear for a while, and you'd be like, "Where's did the you cat know, Honestly, lady? did you notice that? I was like, first of all, Anne Hathaway, very beautiful woman, but like when she, everybody else looks like half a Dickens character, and <laughs> she looks amazing. Well, this is the thing. I think a lot of the female superheroes, what we forget is that their mask is makeup, right? Mm. They don't. The female superheroes often do not wear masks because they because their pretty face is necessary. Mm. And so Batman and Bane have these hideous uh, appendages on their faces. <laughs> she is, you know, it's it's a it's a skin tight bodysuit and a and a and a and a made up face. Like that's her costume. But in any case, the tech people are the ones that are curious to me because they are not part of the lockstep uh, mass culture that is just going into the future unreflectively they often trend culturally with with these like apocalypse and modern primitive cults but everything that they do is contingent on a faith on faith that technology and 
technology will survive, that progress is linear and always, you know, always building on the last thing. And that, that, you know, that if your kid doesn't learn the swipe gesture across a swipe screen, that 10 years from now, they won't, they won't be able to even read a book because everything will, the, the swiping is like once now that we're in a swipe world, everything will follow from the swipe. And that's a, that is a curious kind of faith and a curious, um, like whatever the articles of confederation are of people that go to Macworld and are like, tell us Oracle, what are, what are the new, you know, are the new swipes? Yeah. What are the new swipes? Is plural marriage allowed yet in at Mac world? If not, it's only a matter of time. Like that, that whole, that whole subset of, and which makes up a huge part of my world, the people that I know and are, and, and friends with. We discuss you at the meetings. I know you do. On live journal. I know. Like, and <laughs> there's a lot you just of, can't see it. There's a lot of live journal talk that's like, when is John, when are we going to finally when will bring John, John into the room? When will John teach the swipe? <laughs> <laughs> His negativity has become problematic. <laughs> apocalypse, apocalypse. George R. R. Martin. Hmm. Here, here, here was the first story uh, that George R. R. Martin told me. I said, how did you and your wife meet? And he said, in the early 70s, she was, she worked for Ringling Brothers Circus. And we went to a early convention, uh, uh, comics convention. And because it was the early 70s, there was an all, uh, like a, a women only sauna at the comics convention and i went into the women's only sauna naked to liberate the gender bias inherent in a in a woman's only sauna i i i went in there as like a as a uh, warrior a men's rights warrior so lost 19, already 1971 uh-huh. or whatever that's and, very courageous. And she... <laughs> He's the real hero. She felt like Ladies. that. Ladies. <laughs> no, it was very appealing, my, you know, my boldness. But he's being serious. This is the, the real story. Yeah. And I was just like, I mean, I'm standing on top of a, like a teetering pile of like uh, understories or I'm, I'm just like, okay, wait a minute. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. She's, she works for Ringling Brothers. You guys are at a, at a world con. There is a woman's only sauna that you were liberating. And that's how you met. And he's like, well, I mean, I was, you know, I my wife at bottom of the hill. <laughs> exactly. He met your wife at a John Vanderslide show. Uh, he, and he's like, well, and then I married someone else for a period but then we met again what was he liberating her from <laughs> who knows but i was like okay this is all happening in 1971 this is a separate thread of the culture that goes back a long long time 
that he is one of the, you know, he's one of the early, 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 he, he, you know, Worldcon was like a big, big part of his, his universe at a time uh, the, uh, where the, the culture at large and even the nerd historians, like, have a hard time going that far back in the culture to a time when like, (laughs) I, I, and I, I, and I swear to you that, that they, they absolutely were probably wearing puffy sleeved garments. There might've been a a jingle stick. (laughs) Just You know? And so I'm, I'm like, I am so enthralled and so elated picturing these nerds at the dawn of what we think of as like fan culture. And so his wife is sitting there and I'm like, tell me your version of this story. And she's like, well, you know what? I, I am a fan. I am one of the early fans. And we were the first generation of people who recognized that being a fan was its own thing. And I've spent my whole life as a fan of science fiction and um, and fantasy, and it's made a beautiful life for me. Hmm. So that's, George, that's lovely. It, it it was extraordinary, extraordinary to hear like that they were they created that culture in the quiet, in a way. You know what I mean? Like they were not trying to interact with the larger culture. They found one another at these at these comic cons and. It was an imperfect. Um, it was an imperfect center, probably, but close enough for the circus people and the burlesque people and the vaudeville people and the fantasy and science fiction people. Like they all, they all found each other in a way that I think we think of. We think of that experiencing uh, experience happening really in modern times. Like that's the nerd narrative. What, what you just described, in some ways, is what how, how people talk about things like Woodstock. Mm-hmm. How you would get the, you know what I mean? And, and, and I don't mean to sound reductive, but I mean like in the same sense of going like there was a time when people who were really into free speech and weed and uh, free love and beat poetry, all these things that now we all just slap into the same pile. Yeah. There was a time when the, all the people who were, if you like, outsiders of a certain kind of middle-class you know, outsider, like found, found a commonality in that. And now yeah. that all seems really obvious. But at the time, it probably was not that obvious. Not at all. And, and the in nerd, this case, it's even more obscure. The nerd thing was contemporaneous with that, and, and yet a tiny, tiny fraction of the size of, you know, like... It was not general interest. It was very specific. So, so it's also like when underground, you know, that's when your when your buddy R. Crumb was starting to to come up. There's a right. lot of underground com- comics were huge then. Fritz the Cat, even and so Marvel. Forth. You know what Jim Steranko was doing with with Marvel stuff was was pretty out there then. Yeah, right, and then everybody's getting high too. Mm-hmm. But so so meeting him and his wife and seeing their connection to this culture, and then he has. He has four assistants. George R. R. Martin has four assistants, whom he describes as his minions. They describe themselves <laughs> as his minions. <laughs> Sorry. All four of them are women who are a little zaftig, who have dark curly hair that they wear in braids, 
And one of them is British. There are a couple that are like uh, Americans. One of them never, I never actually saw, only heard spoken of. Um, they're all like hilarious, super smart, uh, like in their 30s or 40s. And they act as his intermediaries, as his planners, as his, you know, they're, they're more than assistants. You know, they're like executive assistants. But, like, there are four of them, and they interact with one another seamlessly. Like, it's a culture. <laughs> nice catch. And, and, and it's very captivating. And, and like, wow. And, and, you know, and they kind of, they flirt with him, and he flirts with them. Like, it's a, their interactions are very flirty. And it, and it's exactly the way that people on the Jonathan Colton cruise or people at Comic Con interact with one another. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen it before. I've seen this culture before, where it's there's a lot of flirtation, there's a lot of sexual energy. A weird in- combination of like confidence and lightness. Sometimes right. you know what I mean, but it isn't the kind of like oh, I'm I'm I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm a flighty idiot. But no, like smart people, but who are very confident and and as you like to say, like aren't asking for your approval about how this is going. Exactly, and I think if you if you got into a political conversation with any one of them, their politics would be absolutely dead on. You know what I mean? Like there there's no it it isn't a it isn't a a patriarchal cult. Like all of these women are fully empowered, and yet they are play acting a kind of sexuality and George R. R. Martin is the is the papa figure and everybody's very comfortable with that. They're very comfortable with with I mean, you know, this is a guy who in the early seventies when it liberated the women's sauna. We can't can't forget that. You know, and, and when I think about and, and Hodgman and I had a long conversation about this where we were both like, you know, there were the ner- there were the cool kids over here having sex with each other and wearing polo shirts with the collars up and going to beer parties and then there were the nerds over here having sex with each other and going to beer parties and wearing uh, their velvet collars popped or whatever and (laughs) how the fuck did we end up being like right in between in the in the narrow band the narrow cultural band of kids that just weren't having sex with each other you know we were sitting there silently judging both cultures and in fact uh, sleeping in the district slept alone every single night. <laughs> so I, I love John's description. It might have been in when Hodgman interviewed Martin. Uh, it was a pretty interesting interview. But at one point, John Hodgman was describing the way that he dressed when he was in high school. <laughs> you heard him talk about this? He had kind of a Doctor Who thing going on. He carried a briefcase. He had a ponytail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, you know, he was working. Working a lot of different angles, trying to figure out which one was going <laughs> to be. But cobbling the- together, like a lot of people, cobbling together your own idea of what cool was, I- with without you know much outside influence <laughs> to steer you one way or another. Yeah, I I, I understood that. Uh, I, my mom would not buy me an Izod shirt because they were eighty five dollars or something like that at a time when you could get a shirt with a little a fire breathing dragon on it from Sears for fourteen dollars. <laughs> right. And uh, I remember going to the fabric store with her one day when I was in ninth grade or something like that, which is already like, you're going to the fabric store with your mom in ninth grade. Loser. And I'm walking through the fabric store and there's a little embroidered alligator 
Oh but, no! But he's he's like he's a happy alligator. He's smiling. <laughs> But clearly not the Lacoste alligator. And he's about twice as big as the Lacoste alligator. <laughs> oh, and he's no. like looking at the he's looking at the viewer and maybe even is giving a thumbs up. <laughs> and I said, you know what? That's my alligator. And I bought it and I had it sewn on uh I had it sewn on actually my Levi's jacket. And then, like, smiling alligator was my little motif, and and I, I, I might have even had it. I bought a second one and had it sewn on my ski sweater. You know, like I was, I <laughs> like Laverne with an yeah. L. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Except here's the smiling alligator yeah, giving a sure. thumbs up, and I was like, I firmly believed that I would be respected and loved for my hilarious outsider take on being an insider. And, what you a know, piquant subversion you've made. <laughs> I was just reviled. I was reviled by everyone. No one liked it. No one thought it was good, you know? And I was so proud, like, you know, smi- my smiling alligator. Check me out. I, you know, I get it, right? No, wrong. Mm. Although, you know, maybe, yes, maybe if I had just stuck around in my smiling alligator tent long enough... <laughs> I would now, you know, I'd now be at the at the center of some, um, you know, some vaudeville burlesque culture. Think of all the saunas you could have liberated. <laughs> I tried. 